Hey, Sharper Together family. I wanted to take a moment and ask you a very important question. Have you had a chance to subscribe, rate, and leave a review for the show? Did you know that by subscribing to the show, you'll get notified of each new episode when it releases? Also, your ratings and reviews let me know that you enjoy the content being brought to you by our amazing guests every show. It also gets the word out to others and increases the likelihood of more people joining us as they see this is something others want more of. So would you take a moment, pause the show, subscribe on your favorite app, leave a star rating, and write a brief review. If you need help, simply visit lovethepodcast.com backslash sharp. Thank you so much for being sharper together. Today's episode is brought to you by our Sharper Together patrons. Our patrons make it possible to continue bringing you these life-giving conversations with Christian leaders all across the globe. As Sharper Together patrons, you can receive exclusive content, early access to episodes, and much more. To find out more about becoming a Sharper Together patron, please visit www.sharperpodcast.com backslash donate. time, I was not looking after my family. I was not being the shepherd of my family. Instead, I was I was being obsessive over this language and culture learning. And it, it got to a point that there's an, uh, an incident where we lost our keys and I got really, really upset about us losing our keys potentially somewhere in the tribe. And I looked over as we were looking in the house for these keys. My wife was weeping on, on the bed, you know, sobbing. And I hadn't seen her sob like that before. And so I said, what's going on, Deb? And she, she said, you know, I feel like you love the language of Kuman more than you love me. Welcome to the Sharper Together podcast. This is a show built on the Proverbs 27, 17 truth that as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. It is our hope that listening to real life stories and Q&A from Christian leaders of all walks of life will encourage, empower, and equip you in your walk with Christ. Today's guest is Justin Bollington. Justin is an associate pastor at Princeton Bible Church in Princeton, Illinois. He is a husband and father of four. He loves to teach the Bible and is a former Ethnos 360 tribal church planner. He's a proud Theobro and arguably Olive Garden's number one fan. I'm your host, Michael Lee. Let's dive into today's episode and stay sharper together. Justin, thanks so much for joining me today. I appreciate you taking some time and joining us. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Michael. It's, I'm glad to be here. I've not been invited on too many podcasts, so it's pretty exciting to be on yours. And I can't believe that I'm invited onto the same podcast as both Dustin Benj and Chris Honholtz. That's crazy. Maybe this will be the first of many podcasts for you. I, I, I don't know. That'd be great. That'd be cool. I, I'm not against it. Well, tell me the first question I have for you. What's your favorite story about your life that you love to share with people? Well, that's a good question, Michael. Um, my story is God's story, of course. Um, my wife and I met in high school. And 
our, I would say about senior year, we both decided that we want to, wanted to go um, overseas and plant a church in an unreached people group. Um, the reason why we came to that conclusion is we had the opportunity to hear a missionary with New Tribes Mission named Brad Buser, who was a missionary in Papua New Guinea and and who had who had worked in a a tribe in the middle of the jungle who had um, not a shred of scripture in their language. They had no no work being done to plant a church and. Brad went into this into this people group and began learning their culture and learning their language and began the process of teaching the Bible chronologically to them from Genesis all the way to Revelation um, and shared the gospel to them. And many of them got saved. And many of them th- that day when he shared the gospel um, in in the gospel of John, I believe, um, the church was born and it was a, a, a beautiful thing. And, and so we went to this youth conference in which he shared his story. And my wife and I were, were pretty amazed because we had never heard the, the statistics like there are 2,300 language groups in the world still that don't have a single shred of scripture in their language. They are without the gospel. Um, they are dying in their sin every day without, without a witness. Um, no one to tell them that, that, that God is holy and perfect and man is sinful. And so God sent Jesus to live a perfect life and to die on the cross for the sins of his people and that all who believe in him can have eternal life. And, and so we, we were just shocked. And at that point I was a little, I was resistant to missions because I didn't want to leave my comforts here, um, in the States, but my wife was like, let's go. I want to do this. And so we had a a really important decision to make. Were we going to break up or, um, was my wife going to go, you know, going to stay here. And even though her heart was overseas or was I going to go overseas? Now I found this woman, um, God by his grace brought her to me. And she was, she is a a godly woman who loves the word of God, who studies scripture incessantly, who loves Christ. And so it was really my wife that got me into, um, into tribal missions. And so we decided we'd go, um, overseas to Papua New Guinea on this five week trip. This would have been the summer of my, you know, this, the summer after my senior year, we went through this program called interface. And it's a program that new tribes mission puts on for people who are interested in um, tribal missions. And so they kind of walk you through the process of learning an unwritten language and then, um, communicating to people and learning culture. And then for the, for the purpose of um, preaching the gospel to people who've never heard. And it was awesome. We loved it. Um, When we came home, we both knew this is what we wanted to give our lives to. And so in 2009, May 23rd, I'm going to get this right. In 2009, um, my wife and I got married And um, she finished her first year of Bible school at New Tribes Bible Institute. And I began my first year and um, it was Bible school was awesome. I got to, I got to be taught the Bible chronologically. I got to just be 
immersed in the worldview of scripture, understanding theology and doctrine and, and um, new tribes was wonderful in that. So we were just immersed in scripture every single day. And it just kind of continued to perpetuate this desire to go overseas and take the gospel where it hadn't gone before. And um, after we graduated uh, New Tribes Bible Institute. We took a year off and, and worked. I drove school buses and and she worked at a a school um, as a as a preschool um, aide. And then we went through the missionary training center with New Tribes Mission, where we learned practically um, and with great depth how to study culture and how to study language because language and culture are so intricately woven together um, and how to discern between sinful areas of, of culture that need to be gotten rid of through the preaching of the word of God and, and what are areas of the culture that are not sinful and can be kept. And, and um, it, it was just a, a wonderful, wonderful schooling to help us learn just what it took to be missionaries. And I would recommend anybody who wants to be a um, who wants to go overseas and plant churches to go get trained um, and get trained through Ethnos 360 because they do a great job. Um, I'm not with that organization anymore, but um, but it, it's it's worth every penny um, to learn linguistics, to learn phonemics, to learn um, translation principles, all of that from real actual missionaries who have gone and done it. Um, it'd be a really wise thing for you to do. And so then in in 2000. 13, I believe it was. Yeah, 2013. My wife and I moved over to Papua New Guinea and um, we began an orientation phase in in the Sepik region of Papua New Guinea and learned how to learn culture within uh, Papua New Guinea and um, learned the what's called the national language or the trade language called Talk Pigeon, um, which is the way everyone communicates together. There are 800 languages, Michael, in Papua New Guinea alone um, that are totally distinct from one another. So in some way they have to be able to communicate. And so they have a, a trade language. It's kind of a conglomerate between German, English, and I don't know, like Spanish or something. It's just a, a really interesting language. It sounds really, it almost sounds like baby talk, but that's how they talk to each other um, across uh, different language groups. And then after that uh, we went, we came back home to the United States and had um, Mia, our second child, and then moved back to Papua New Guinea to the highlands of Papua New Guinea to try to decide where in the world we're going to go and into what tribe. And one of the tribes um, stood out to us. They're, they were the Kuman tribe of Papua New Guinea. And um, within the Kuman, there were 150,000 uh, people that represent the Kuman tribe and less than 1% um, had heard the gospel and, and, uh, and within the uh, church had been planted only within one village within that church, within that huge, enormous people group. And um, it stood out to us because it wasn't a new work, um, which if you're, in missionary training, you're like, that's what you dream of. You dream of the quote unquote e-tau moment where you get to start at the very beginning of a work and see it all the way to the end of the work and see people saved and all that stuff. But this was actually, this was a work that had been started by um, a sweet, sweet family um, and that had stayed there for 25 years and were, were still there. 
and still working and still laboring. And we had the opportunity to jump in, um, you know, somewhat near the midway point in their ministry within the Kumon and, and be a part of discipling that baby, baby church within the Kumon as well as be a part of outreach. And so um, that was exciting for us. And so us, along with um, another family, we decided we'd move into the Kumon tribe within the Chimbu province of Papua New Guinea in this village called the Baringik uh, village that um, is divided by um, two, two different clans. And, and so I joined the Mende clan. My, my um, coworker joined the Combri clan. And we were just, we were in this family together and, and striving and learning uh, the language. And so what happened, Michael, the reason why I'm sharing all this, this is my story. Um, the reason why I'm sharing all this is when you become a missionary, you tend to idolize the mission work instead of the God of mission. And it, it's a really easy thing to, to slip up in and to, to fall into. And that's what we fell into, at least what I fell into. Um, I worked incredibly hard to learn the language. And this language is one of the most difficult languages in the world. I can't speak much of it anymore. But I worked in in those two years that we were there. I guess we were there really for maybe a year total within the Kumon tribe, two years in Papua New Guinea. But within the Kumon tribe, I, le- I worked extremely hard. And during that time, um, I would you know, wake up in the morning, go out, learn language and culture, come back for lunch, go back out, learn language and culture, spend time and then get home for supper. And, you know, by that time I was exhausted, I was tired. And during that time, I was not looking after my family. I was not being the shepherd of my family. Instead, I was, I was being obsessive over this language and culture learning. And it got to a point that there was an, uh, an incident where we lost our keys and I got really, really upset about us losing our keys potentially somewhere in the tribe. And I looked over as we were looking in the house for these keys. My wife was weeping on, on the bed, you know, sobbing. And I hadn't seen her sob like that before. And so I said, well, you know, what's going on, Deb? And she, she said, you know, I feel like you love the language of Kuman more than you love me. And it absolutely revealed to me just the evil wickedness of my heart. Um, as Calvin, John Calvin says, you know, all of our hearts are little idol factories. Well, I absolutely created an idol out of, um, out of learning the language and the culture. And had the Lord not stopped me dead in my tracks at that moment, I would have destroyed my family and I would have destroyed our marriage. And because of that, I would have destroyed the work in the Kumon. That certainly, because of that moment, we had we we shared the problems that we were having with our coworkers. And then we shared these issues and I confessed sin. I apologized to our coworkers and, and to, and to leaders within new tribes, just letting them know, like, I'm sorry that I was just railroading all of you running full sprint, not even thinking or loving you, caring for you at the cost of our relationship, just because I wanted this language. Um, I wanted to understand it so I could preach the gospel to them. And, so it just kind of caused us to slow way down, put on the brakes through time. You know, we, my, my wife was dealing heavily with um, 
depression. And some of that had to do with just marital struggles. And some of that had to do with the fact that our daughter, um, that was, that we had to go home to, to have earlier, our daughter was having severe sickness and she was sick with a virus constantly. And Deb could never leave the house. She had to stay indoors because if, if Mia went outdoors, um, she would likely get very, very sick. And as she was on these antibiotics, her immune system was being you know depleted. And so it just made it even harder for Deb <clears throat> to be able to leave. And so Deb was never able to get out of the house and learn the language. And the Kuman people are, are very harsh people. They're, they tend to be unkind. They're you know, many of them unregenerate. So of course they are, but that even compounded the issues with her depression. So new tribe said, you know what? I think it'd be good if you guys, you know, you guys went home and, and kind of caught your breath a little bit and then reevaluated and then saw, you know, whether or not you wanted to come back and just make sure that your marriage is still intact and, and that, and that you're being the husband that you need to be in the shepherd of your family and said, and so he said, okay, that makes sense. And so we went home, Michael, fully expecting to come back to Papua New Guinea and and die in the Kumon. That's what we wanted. Um, but it ended up that that coworker that had been in the Kumon tribe for 20 some years, um, he was on furlough at that time. And we met up and we had an opportunity to talk. And he said, listen, you know, the reality is not everyone is made for missions. Not everyone is made for tribal missions and long-term tribal missions. And it's something that it, it would be understandable and it would not be wrong for you to choose to stay home. Um, for one, the good of your family and two, for the good of the Kumon, um, for you to just come back and come out and come in, come out and come in over and over and over again. That just, that communicates problems and issues to this baby Kuman church um, that needs to grow in grace and needs to grow in faithfulness. And so we had to sit and really think about it. And after a time, we after a time of prayer and just consulting our elders of our, our home church and consulting others that we really trust, um, we begrudgingly, to some degree, chose to stay home. And right at that time, the church that I grew up in, um, the senior pastor of this church had fallen into an adulterous relationship and was being put out of the church. And the associate pastor, who was my discipler in high school and junior high, was taking the senior pastor role. And that opened up the associate pastor role for me. And I just said, you know, I, I to Curtis, our, our senior pastor, I said, I would be honored to, to be considered for the associate pastor role here. Um, and so I will, I will put my name in and this is where the Lord brought us and where the Lord has called us. And so my story is a story of sin and a story of, of record, of recognizing over and over and over again, my helplessness before God. And the fact that I depend on him for every moment that if I do not walk with him, that if I take my eyes off of him, I am capable of ruining my family in a moment. And the only good that I have in me is Christ in me. And so that's my story, Michael. 
I love that story, Justin. It's a sobering story when you talk about 2,300 language groups that don't have the gospel. And so, uh, I mean, that just shows you the urgency and the need that's out there. Yeah. And that's what I want my life to reflect. And I've, I've really kind of, that's kind of been my theme um, of my ministry, my theme of discipleship, you know, my theme of evangelism is life is short. You know, hell is forever and the gospel is the power of God. And so I'm, I'm learning to stop wasting my life on things that don't matter and give my life to things like discipleship here um, at Princeton Bible Church. Give my life to evangelism, give my life to teaching God's word and give my life to personal piety and devotion. That if I'm not in God's word personally, drawing from the well of, of Christ and his glory and his majesty and his beauty, then I have nothing to give other people. And, and my story in the Kuman shows that <laughs> when I'm not, when I'm not fellowshipping with Christ and allowing his word to continually draw me to repentance, to chip away at, at my sin and to, to edify me and exhort me in the things of Christ, then I'm doomed. And so um, much of my quote unquote Theo bro newsletter um, that I put out, you know, maybe once a month or once every two weeks, much of the, the goal of that is to drive people to, to be more spiritually urgent in their Bible study, in their ministries. And you, Michael, in your podcast, knowing that, you know, you could have 10,000 people listen to your podcast, you know, each, each time you put it out, or you could have five. It's okay because God has ordained it for you. And if you have five, those are five people that are hearing the gospel preached and are being driven to to greater ministry and and to a to a life of of submission to Christ. Um, we don't deserve anybody, and that's the other thing. We don't deserve to be able to minister to anyone at all. And so, if I if I have only a few, that is better than I deserve, and I better make the most of it. And I and I better put my hand to the plow. I better make the most of the, of the little gift that he's given me um, because, because that's what God expects. And the other thing my story has taught me, Michael, is that, you know, I was a, I was a functional Arminian in, in years prior to me becoming a missionary in about halfway through serving in Kumon. Um, and pretty quickly, God showed me his absolute sovereignty over all issues of life, his absolute sovereignty over my salvation. He, he led me to men like John Newton to read, to read, you know, writers, uh, the author of, or the hymn writer of amazing grace and the author of many, many letters. John Newton ministered to me while I was in the tribe and I'm sure saved me from many, many issues because of his, his absolute love for Christ and, and his, his, the way that he wrote so, um, so beautifully about Christ being so satisfying to his people. Um, Tony Ranke's work on uh, the Christian life of, of John Newton has been so, so important to me. And I hold it so dear because it rescued me from some really dark places in the tribe. And so again, my life is a, is a story of God 
sovereignly and graciously and mercifully picking up this poor sinner and using him only by his grace. I, I don't deserve it. I love that truth. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, I would love for you to share with us, what's something that you wish you had known when you first came to faith in the Lord? That there is just nothing good in me. <laughs> I wish I would have learned that right away, Michael. Um, the realities of total depravity. Um, I wish would have been drilled down in my heart immediately, but that's not the way, you know, of course, God works. He works progressively. He doesn't open up the curtain and show us everything about himself right away. He's, he's, he is, he is testing our, the genuineness of our faith constantly. He's, um, he's doing that on purpose. He's doing that to build us up slowly, but, um, because he's not making, you know, I can't remember who the author was that said this, but God isn't interested in making squashes. He's interested in making oak trees. And because of that, he, he builds his people slowly through trial and struggle. And so I believe, you know, I wish I would have understood the depths of depravity in my own heart um, because that would have casted me on the glory and power and strength of Christ even more and would have saved me from all kinds of pain and hardship. Um, I wish I would not have trusted myself um, to go into an unreached people group. And I wish I wouldn't have thought I was strong enough or amazing enough or spiritual enough to do it. I I could say it with my mouth. You know, I'm, I'm not a super spiritual Christian. I could say it my, you know, I could say it with my words that Christ is my all in all, but I didn't know it by experience. And so I wish, I I wish that in some ways, I wish that I would have spent five years in the, in, you know, five years in the States, maybe working or earning a living in a different field, or I wish I would have struggled somewhere else where all of my sin issues could have been pointed to and I could have been more aware of prior to going in, you know, going overseas and going to this um, really intense situation. But at the same time, you know, I wish I would have known the depravity of my heart, but at the same time, I know that by God's grace, he was, he's trained me for the particular ministry that I'm in right now. And I wouldn't change it for the world. Absolutely. Uh, Justin, outside of scripture, what would you say uh, are some of your favorite books or the most impactful book or books that you've read that should be on every believer's bookshelf? Awesome. That is a, that's such a good question. For those who are coming out of 2020 and entering into 2021 and pretty soon getting back into 2022, who are hyper aware of their health, hyper aware of COVID-19 and, and all of that, Please pick up this little, little book called Risk is Right by John Piper. I don't know that, Michael, if you've heard of it, but it's just this tiny little book. It, it takes it takes no more than a, a, an hour to read, but it walks you through the reality that Christians must, must risk. It's part of being a Christian. The apostles risked their lives constantly for the sake of the gospel. The very fact that you feel like your life is safe right now is a lie. You're not safe. You're hanging on by a thread. You could die at any moment. 
Um, and so Risk is Right by John Piper, I believe is, is, an, is just an incredible book for our time. I don't agree with everything John Piper says. I don't agree with everything he writes, but this particular book is such an important, important book. And of course, any Puritan that you can get your hands on, I would say your listeners need to read and really grab onto. And if, and if you don't know any Puritans and if you don't really understand what the Puritans are about, um, J.I. Packer has a wonderful book called A Quest for Godliness that walks you through. It's kind of an introduction of the Puritans and just walks you through certain puritanical teachings on things like the conscience, on justification by faith, um, and the Holy Spirit. And so he kind of systematically walks you through different, um, in just in an introductory way, um, these important Puritans that you must know and I must know and cling on to, especially in our time. They are so vital to our Christian lives. The other book I would get a hold of is, of course, uh, Vody Bauckham's Fault Lines, and of course, Owen Strand's new book that just came out, I believe today or yesterday, it was yesterday, um, Christianity and Wokeness. Um, if you want to understand what you are up against as a Christian um, who is clinging on to the gospel and clinging on to Christ as your all in all and want to understand the times, these men do a wonderful job, a really great job of of breaking down what is really at stake. I would say that's kind of Vody Bauckham's overall theme and fault lines. Here's what it's, what's at stake in Christianity. And then um, I would say that, that Owen Strand does a really good job of breaking down what it is in its essence, how it got here, um, why we're dealing with it and how wokeness got into the church um, and why we're seeing it being spread so rapidly. So I would say fault lines and Christianity and wokeness is critical and also learn, try to learn biblical Greek, um, do as best as you can learning biblical Greek, pick up books like um, Greek for life by, um, Merkel and Plummer, um, the basics of biblical Greek by, uh, I can't remember the, uh, Mounts. He, he wrote that it's still Greek to me by David Allen black. Just do your best to try to have, um, a sense of the text in its original form, um, so that you can be a better Bible expositor and a better Bible teacher. Um, you can learn a language. You just need to take time and do it um, remove yourself from your cell phone, remove yourself from, from distractions and just sit down and work on vocabulary, work on pronunciation, work on syntax and grammar and all of that. It is worth it. I promise you. Does that help? It does. Yeah, absolutely. And fault lines and Christianity and wokeness are both on my reading list. So I'm looking forward to that. And I almost joined uh, Owen's launch team for that book, but I found out about it about a week before, like a week ago. And I was like, well, it's coming out. So it's kind of pointless to join the launch team now, but so I'm looking forward to it. He'll forgive you. He will. He'll forgive you. I think as we speak, it's like number 80 something in all of Amazon um, book sales. So it's doing pretty good today. And it should be until Amazon shuts it down. So. <laughs> I saw Facebook was censoring people's posts about it. Yeah, go figure. Gotta love it. What is something that God is teaching you uh, in your life right now? Maybe it's in your quiet time. Maybe it's in your study. But what's something that God is teaching you? 
Well, I've been reading through the book of Hosea um, slowly, and the the glories of God's um, faithfulness to the people of Israel, despite their spiritual adultery um, and chasing after the Canaanite uh, gods, and just the the illustration that God sets up for the northern kingdom of this prophet Hosea marrying this prostitute. Um, in chapter one, and just this picture of 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 God condescending and loving sinful people and bringing them to himself. But then you have in chapter two, you have the the children of Hosea casting out Gomer and saying, listen, you have been you have continued to prostitute yourself. Now you're in exile. And now, now you're away from me. Now you're sold into slavery. Um, this is your discipline. This is your punishment. But then he gives this really cool promise in, I believe it's chapter three of Hosea, where he says, where he, he says, I want you to go back, Hosea, to Gomer, and I want you to marry her again. And so Gomer goes and goes to the the prostitution trade and pays for her and brings her back. And God says, Hosea, I want you to tell her not to go prostitute herself any longer, to stay with him, to live with him and no longer leave. And then he says, right right at the, I believe at the end of chapter three, he says, this is what it's going to be like for the people of Israel. One day they are going to return to King David. Okay, the Messiah, and they're going to return to me and cast off all of their, you know, all of their idols and and repent and and belong to me. And it's just it's staggering this faithfulness that God has for His people, despite His people's unfaithfulness to Him, and that that Israel has no doesn't deserve it at all. We learn that in Deuteronomy. God very explicitly says there's nothing righteous in you, there's nothing good in you. There's nothing redeemable about you. I only chose you out of my own love and mercy. And then he only keeps them out of his good love and mercy too. And so I I was just struck by that. And of course, <laughs> good hermeneutic says I'm not Gomer, but boy, I tell you what, in my flesh and in my sin nature, I sure act a lot like Gomer in my my spiritual adultery towards God, in my desire for things that are not Him and have not been given to me, my lust and my my covetousness, my my jealousy towards positions other people might have, and just my idolatry towards things that are not God. Yet God still holds me fast and still clings to me in his love and in his, his faithfulness. And it just brings me great joy. So that, that's, it's a, that's where I've been comforted because once again, you know, if you are, if you are a Christian and you're examining your life in meditation before God, um, you will just be able to see sin all over in your life. And just the, the realities of, of your heart just come to the forefront as God reveals them to you and you confess and you repent and then you also need to know Christ paid for that sin and God is faithful to hold you fast. And so right now I'm just thankful that God holds me fast despite who I am.
Amen. Absolutely. Now you brought it up a little bit earlier. You mentioned Theo Bros. I'd love for you to talk about that. Tell us what it is, the heart behind it, and how folks can get signed up for it. What it is, it's interesting. I basically got called a Theo bro one time. I'm not sure why. There was a little bit of a Twitter debate that I got into. And and then I, I kind of looked at certain replies and, and someone in a in a derogatory way called me a Theo bro. Okay. And I, I looked at that. I'm like, that's strange. And then I know Chris Honholtz got called that um, in a situation on Twitter, on social media at some point. And I saw it just pop up everywhere. And then um, Chris Honholtz and in, in his brilliance, you know, he created this Twitter account called Theo Bros. And I was like, that's awesome. I, I'm a, I want to be a part of that. And um, and then I thought, well, no one's created like a sub stack or, or a newsletter for this. And so the, the, real, the reality is, if you are a Christian, if you are interested in God's word and you study it with any seriousness, you are a Theo bro, right? You care about theology because you love God. And that's why we go to the word of God. And so I'm, I'm a theobro. I care deeply about theology because I love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength by the grace provided me in Jesus Christ. I want to know him. I want to know the power of Christ's resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings. I want to understand him because in understanding God, I have found eternal life. And so, yeah, that's theobro. That's what it means to be a Theobro. It just means to love God and love theology and understand it. And so I just created this, this newsletter. Um, I like to write and um, writing's, in, writing's important for my spiritual life. It's kind of a spiritual discipline for me um, because it helps me kind of process what the Lord is doing. It brings up scripture in my mind that I can write down and then memorize. And and so writing's just an important an important spiritual discipline. And so I just decided to start this newsletter, gave credit to Chris Honholz and, and just have been writing about things like discipleship and evangelism and kind of discerning the times, discerning wokeness, understanding, you know, the, the realities of the need for being spiritually urgent in our lives. So um, if if you could really describe this substack or this this um, this newsletter, it would just be me talking about what God is doing in my life, relating it to scripture and theology, and then kind of an exhortation for Christians that says, you know, based on what I have written, this is what we should be doing. Um, keep going, Theo bros. Like you are, you're a Theo bro. Be that, you know, be, be committed to it. Don't be ashamed of it um, because that's the way Christians are, are to be geared and are to, to function as people who are, are, deeply concerned with theology. So if you want to um, join my Substack and just kind of follow along and and read what I've written, you can just go to my Twitter handle. I have it pinned. Um, my Twitter handle is at Justin Bullington. I'm not a huge content creator. I, I, I kind of dabble here and there on, in certain things um, because I, I just have a church life. I have, I have life here that I, there are people that I'm concerned with and people I'm discipling and teaching and all of that. And I can't really give all my energies to it. I just want people to preach the gospel and to make disciples. And so if I come on your podcast, that's, that's my exhortation to your listeners is don't quit because, and, and if you're going to read my Substack, read my Substack because 
I want you, whoever you are, to be so equipped for every good work through rightly dividing the word of truth that you will then go make disciples and teach them everything that Christ commanded so that that person just might end up going to an unreached people group and just might end up going to plant a church. So that's always kind of in the back of my mind um, with everything I I kind of dabble in with with content that I create, you know, with my Twitter, you know, that's that's what I do. That's that's my purpose. It's just to encourage people to to be more committed to Christ. Be more surrender themselves more because I need to encourage myself with that too. And it's just a, a mutual accountability thing. So does that make sense? It does, yeah. And I can vouch for you because I was I, I'm pretty sure I was one of your first subscribers. I mean, I'm not you know, tooting my own horn or anything, but I'm pretty sure that I was pretty close to one of your first subscribers. Awesome. Yeah. It's, it's a great newsletter. I love your writing. Uh, in the last newsletter you sent to us, we'll do a follow-up question here. You shared a story about the Chimbu people uh, a little bit. Uh, you shared here in the beginning too of this podcast, but you talked about the urgency of sharing the gospel and you shared a story about a funeral that happened uh, with the Chimbu people. And I'd love for you to take a few moments and share with our listeners some of that story. Okay, well, if if you're in an unreached people group, the reality of sorcery and witchcraft is real. Um, a lot of that happens, and whether it's the actions actually are carried out, um, I don't know. That's God knows, but people do practice witchcraft and sorcery. And one particular instance, there was a, a death within the Chimbu of an older fellow. Um, who died. And, and the reality was he probably had AIDS, um, but because they have no real medical n- understanding, they don't know how the human body works because they're so remote. Um, their first thought isn't physical, but they go to the spiritual. Um, their worldview is based on essentially worship of ancestor spirits. And if you can somehow if you can appease those ancestor spirits by being a good Kuman, planting gardens the right way, building houses the right way, talking the right way, all of that, um, then your ancestor spirits will bless you. But if you don't appease the ancestor spirits and you do wrong things, if you act, if you la- if you act um, kind of unlike a Kuman, okay, then then you can count on the fact, according to the Kuman people, that they will curse you. And so it's very much a, a works-based religion, of course. We call this animism. And so this man, he died of AIDS, and they were trying to figure out how or why he died. Um, was it something he did or was it something someone else did? And it just so happened that a current um, kind of sorcerer within the tribe had figured out that the real cause of this man's death was that this woman put out a, a curse on him, okay, had had done something to, to curse him. And so she was kind of at home all alone, and this man took it upon himself, um, probably a drug body, took it upon himself to go ahead and slash her and put her to death. Um, and so he killed her. And so now you got this situation where there's like these you have the death of the old man, then you have the death of this young lady who had children, and then you have this drug body who just killed this young woman. You just have death all around you. And 
the the reality is sin is what caused all of this and the gospel is the only thing that can that can make us right with god and and that can he, that can um that can save sinners from from hell um the gospel is what fixes these um issues within tribal groups but um unfortunately there's just there are just so few people within the kuman that know the truth and they still kind of live these lies of of uh, trying to appease these spirits. Well, there was a big funeral for the lady that was killed and that was murdered. And this was within the first six months that my wife and I were there and my coworkers were there. And so this is really a real, a first real big experience of what a, a funeral looks like within, within, um, an unreached people group. And, thousands of people just kind of flocked into our village and I barely knew the language and people were talking to me, Angara Wage and um, trying to, you know, trying to say the right stuff back to them without screwing it up too much. And so then I opened my mouth, you know, Wagewindia as the the reply to, you know, Tanganamok Wagewe, which was what they said to me. It's just a common greeting. And then hundreds of people, because I'm I'm a white guy, you know, amongst a bunch of, you know, dark skinned people, hundreds of people just looked at me as I was saying those words and they couldn't believe it. You know, here I was speaking their language. And so they just flocked me and it was, it was like really super uncomfortable because I didn't know much else. I couldn't speak a whole lot and it was just really, really difficult. Well, then all of a sudden it, you know, that flocking stopped. There's a pause people turned around and started looking in another direction. Someone was carrying a coffin box into our village. And it was that young lady that had been slashed to death by this drug body. And, um, we all, we all looked over there and, and all those people that were huddled around me kind of walked over to the coffin box and began the process of mourning. And if you don't mourn, sufficiently, if you don't act sorry, if you don't cry the way you should cry within the Kuman, people begin suspecting that you did the witchcraft that caused the drug body to go over to slash the woman who did the witchcraft on the old man who had AIDS. <laughs> and so you have this situation where pe- you know hundreds and hundreds of people are crowding this coffin box, writhing in pain, you know, writhing with with tears rolling down their faces. They've covered themselves with mud, um, putting their hands into the coffin, you know, jumping up and down, screaming, rolling around on the ground. You know, these older men and women that are so calm, cool, and collected um, on most normal days, you know, they were doing the same thing. And, and it was just so bizarre because it was so new to us. But also it just showed us the reality that, of the hopelessness of what it looks like, the absolute hopelessness of dying within an unreached people group. You, you lose this loved one. You're not really sure where they end up going or what they end up doing. You know, death is on your doorstep as well. And you have just no hope. And that poor Chimbu woman who had died had, had of course woken up in hell without hearing the gospel even once. And so, we are so, as a country, we are blessed with the Word of God, trans, many translations, many copies of the Bible. We have it on our phones, um, and it often breaks my heart to think that that woman didn't even have one Bible in her language. 
Um, and for her, she needed to hear, someone needed to take the truth to her um, for her to understand and, and believe the gospel that Christ had died for her and her sins. But, but, um, but the workers are few. And so that's kind of the story that I share in the beginning of that newsletter. The purpose of that was to just for us to just continue to to set in front of us that there are not only Kumon dying like this, but we have family members who are hanging by a thread too, and that at any moment they could pass into eternity. Share the gospel with them. We have we have young men and young women within our church that aren't yet equipped to share the gospel themselves, but need to be equipped because they have family members that don't believe. So go and, and disciple them, teach them how to share the gospel. Um, that's my overall point um, is to, I want people when they read my newsletter to evaluate their own lives and then to live life with urgency, knowing that life is short, hell is forever, but the gospel is the power of God to save. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing that story. I've got two more questions for you, and these are kind of the sharper together signature questions. I ask everybody who's on the show this, these same two questions. Oh, good. Yeah. The first one is, if you were in my shoes and you're sitting down interviewing Justin Bullington, what is something that you would ask? Justin Bullington, um, I would ask this. Hey, Justin, why do you think that Olive Garden Italian food is better than real authentic Italian food? Okay. I would ask that question. That's a really good question. Two, Justin, were you ever in a band in high school? And three, Justin, were you on Slime Time Live as a 10-year-old on Nickelodeon? Those are three questions I would ask. I'm going to let you answer all three. I did see you posted on Twitter today, I think it was, about Olive Garden. So I'm looking forward to hearing this answer. I'm serious. I have had, my wife loves Italian food. Okay. So when we go places, we kind of scout Italian food and, and restaurants and stuff. And she's adamant. She loves Italian food. So we go there and I'll order stuff from there. And I'm like, okay, this is good. It's acceptable. You know, I, I like this authentic Italian food, this authentic Italian dish, but it's not Olive Garden. Okay. And I get a lot of flack from that, Michael. People mock me for this. I don't understand why. Um, maybe are you? It's okay if you mock me. It's all right. This is your podcast. I'm just sitting here thinking, rightfully so. But hey, I I love Olive Garden too. But I don't I don't know if I could go that far. Come on. Well, they the endless breadsticks. I mean, that's awesome. And then I get the chicken and gnocchi uh, soup, and that's the best. It's like, man. Oh, the last thing that they have, they have this like this what they call like a lasagna cake. And it's like a layered cake with chocolate and then with like a cheesecake and then chocolate cheesecake. And it's huge. It's usually intended for multiple people, like a family, but I'll order it just for myself and I will eat it proudly in front of the waitresses and waiters. And as they are in awe of me. So that's, that would be the question I would ask. And I would answer it that way. I feel like I need to reach out to Olive Garden and have them sponsor this episode. Yes, you should. <laughs> should. The OG, as we call it. Yep. Uh, well, what about the other two? You, you mentioned Nickelodeon. What about those? Okay. Yes, I was on Nickelodeon Slime Time Live when I was 10. And I ended up winning 
um, the episode. I got slimed at the end. It was awesome. Um, they did like that was back in the early days when like the internet was just starting to really play around and be used. And there you could actually vote on each contestant um, on slime, slime time live and not trying to brag Michael, but I think I got like 70% of the vote um, compared to the other four. So yeah, I, I, uh, I, I did it. I got slimed on slime time live. If I would have known the, presence of greatness i was in today justin before we started this this conversation might have been different why it's it'd be nerve-wracking you would have been very nervous that's why i didn't share it thank you for that oh that's awesome i grew up watching nickelodeon and all the the sliming and we actually my wife and i a couple weeks ago watched a documentary about nickelodeon and, and just that time that era of tv shows and it was a nice blast from the past to watch that yes those were the good days not so much anymore not at all. I won't even dare let my children watch it. Um, but back when like Hey Arnold was on and stuff, um, Hey Arnold, Rocco's Modern Life, that was iffy. That was iffy. I mean, you probably should not have watched that, but um, that was another show. What did the, Everybody says the slime felt like, was it warm? Was it cold? What was that experience like? The slime? Great question, Michael. Thank you. This is the Slime Time Live podcast. Um <laughs> the slime tasted like applesauce. Okay. Um, wasn't great. Wasn't great. Um, and it was kind of a medium warm. I wouldn't say it was cold and I wouldn't say it was, wasn't hot. So it was like a medium warm. Um, there afterwards, the highlight of it all was that I got a $50 gift card to kids foot locker, which was great. But here's the problem. My feet were too big at the time. So I didn't even get to use it. I, I gave it away. Um, but the second highlight was the fact that afterwards to clean up, I went into the dressing room of some of the all that characters. Remember all that on Nickelodeon? And there's a woman named Lori Beth, I think was her name. Um, I went into her dressing room to get changed out of my out of my slimy stuff and get back into my regular clothes. So it was kind of cool to be in in that dressing room. That's awesome. Now that we've lost everybody, I still got to ask you one more question. Bring it. <laughs> hopefully, Bring they'll, it. hopefully they'll tune back in for the last question. <laughs> uh, if you had an opportunity, so knowing this is, you know, the group of listeners that we have that are going to hear this episode, if you had an opportunity to say one thing to them, one big idea, one big encouragement, what would it be? You will die and you will die sooner than you probably think you're going to die. So live with everything you got for the glory of God. And Count von Zinzendorf, he said, what did he, what was his quote? He said, I want to share the gospel, die and be forgotten. That was his, his mantra. And that's mine. And that's what I want to share with you. Share the gospel, share it with as many people as you can, expectant that, that God does the saving. The Holy Spirit does, uses the feeble, actions, the feeble words of his people to, to bring um, people from death to life. So share the gospel with everything you have, um, expecting God to do great things through the message that Christ died for sinners. That's what I would say. I love it. Justin, thank you so much for joining me. Can't thank you enough for being here. Appreciate you so much. Thank you, Michael. Absolutely. Would you pray for us as we close out the show? Absolutely. Father, we do. We submit ourselves to you understanding that you are the king and that you are the Lord of history, that nothing happens 
in this world without your direction and without you ordaining it to happen. And you ordained for the listeners of Michael at on this podcast, Lord, to hear and listen to this podcast. You ordained for my words to be to stumble and to be um, and to not be as clear. You've ordained for things that are true to come out of my mouth, Lord. And and I ask you, Father, that you would use this podcast and you would use the listeners of this podcast to go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing men and women in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them everything that you have commanded. Lord, I pray that they would go with confidence, with a spiritual swagger, knowing that we have everything we need for life and godliness in Christ Jesus, and that your son will reign physically on this earth from his throne, and we will be celebrating his reign for the rest of eternity. Thank you, Lord, that you have given us your word and you have given us one another to fellowship and enjoy truth together in in worship. Lord, we love you in your son's precious name. Amen. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's episode of the Sharper Together podcast. If you want to hear more incredible conversations just like this, please make sure to subscribe to the Sharper Together podcast on your favorite listening device. You'll receive each episode downloaded directly to you so you never miss a show. Would you take a moment and subscribe and review this podcast because the more subscriptions and reviews we receive means more and more people that will receive and hear about these life-giving conversations. You can find more information at www.sharperpodcast.com. We'll see you next time as we stay sharper together.